Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1166 with Erwin McManus, part two. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Today's guest is Erwin McManus. He's back for part two. He's a best-selling author, entrepreneur, fashion designer, filmmaker, and founder of Mosaic, which is a church movement based in the heart of Hollywood with a community that spans the globe. And he has committed his life to the study of genius and the pursuit of God, never knowing that the two worlds would one day collide. And he's got a new book called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And this is the second part of our conversation that I had with Erwin, and I wanted to dive into his philosophy about the spiritual side of relationships. And we dug in deep. We talked about Erwin's philosophy around love and how to find the right partner, how to support your partner without controlling them, how to deal with conflict in a relationship, and the keys to a healthy relationship. And he shares some things that maybe you wouldn't think a pastor might share about sex, love, and relationships along with spirituality. So I hope you enjoy this. And if you do enjoy this, make sure to share this with a friend. Post it over on social media. You can always tag me, Lewis Howes, and Erwin McManus as well. And I want to give a shout-out to the fan of the week by Zidi, who said, I cannot say enough great things about the School of Greatness. I started listening because of a couple TikTok clips that I saw, and now I am obsessed. And it's a part of my morning ritual, and I get up and listen to this podcast. It's now my number one because it's so diverse. Other podcasts can get kind of redundant after a while, but this one has a variety of different topics and great guests. So ZD, so glad that you follow us over on TikTok as well and that you're getting a lot of value from the School of Greatness on a daily basis. And again, guys, if this is your first time here, please subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and stay up to date because every week we have incredible guests and topics just like this one. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Erwin McManus. We were talking about this off camera, about uh, you've been married 38 <laughs> years, yep. right? 38 years. So I feel like you've got a lot of wisdom from your years of experience being married. And you've also supported people throughout relationships, mm-hmm. you know, pre-marriage stuff, being married through divorces, getting remarried again. I'm sure, sure you've seen it all for the last you know, 38, 40 years. Uh, and... It seems to me, again, maybe just because I live in LA, I see the extremes of it. And maybe if I was hanging out back in Ohio more, I would see more like healthy relationships. (laughs) But it seems to me like in general, a lot of people have gone through breakups, adversity, uh, a loss of faith or hope in their relationships in the last year and a half, two years. And with the availability of seeing something shinier, brighter, better looking, more attractive, or seeming better mm-hmm. at a you know at a swipe constantly, whether it be on social media or dating apps, and seeing a flawed person in front of you every day that maybe you're not connected with as much or not putting the work in as sure. much. It just seems like there's a lot of struggle and people are wanting to find love and intimacy more than ever, mm-hmm. but they're not willing to do what it takes yeah. to sustain it and to build it and, and co-create it with someone in a conscious, healthy way. How do you think we can get out of that space mm-hmm. and tap back into the genius of love and tap into the genius of intimacy? And how can we really co-create this? So I, I'm, I'm just trying to set this up because I want to talk about this for a little bit, but mm-hmm. What's your philosophy around relationships in general? Mm-hmm. And because you were mentioning before that really I think 80% of it is finding the right match. Yeah. And making sure that you can find the right match first. So how do we know we found the right match? Like what are some questions we can ask ourselves or our, our potential partner to see, are they the right potential match for me? Sure, here's a couple of things. 
that may maybe will be different than what you'll mm-hmm. read everywhere. Yeah. Uh, one thing is don't look for someone who makes you happy. Look for someone that you naturally make happy. Mm. Because if if the other person isn't happy as an outcome of your presence in their life, you're never going to make them happy. Right. So your authenticness makes them happy. Yeah. You being more of you makes them happy. Brings them more joy. Yeah. Because when so you're not a struggle. Yeah. When you're going to be married for a long, long time, <laughs> and um, and you're going, I just can't make you happy. You're you're at a dead end because oh. you realize and. Because you actually aren't in control of someone else's happiness. Like, no. they're in charge of their own happiness. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that you're responsible for the happiness. What I'm saying is that person naturally moves toward happiness because of your presence. You're, the natural you adds to their happiness. Yes. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And, and why, so, do we, why do we try to force it and try to be something we're not to make someone happy? Right. Because if you're having to work really hard to make them happy, you're, it's not going to last. No. It's not because you're going to get exhausted. Exhausted. And, and you can't make an unhappy person happy. And, and so fortunately, in 38 years, I realized when I'm my best self, my wife actually is happy. And she, she likes me. She enjoys me. And we laugh and have a good time together. And, that's, so some of, and it's not just that she makes me happy. And, and she does. But if you base it on that, you're going to be using people. And so when you're going, oh, you know, I'm looking for someone who makes me happy, mm. you're, you're going to be a user. And, and that's dangerous because that person can't sustain your, happiness, no. sustain your happiness either. So the first thing I would say is just find someone who uh, just you're, you're, the real you makes them happy. Yes. And, and then and I, 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 I think relationships are hard work, but I want to use the word it, that part of it is effortless. Yeah. Does that make sense? And the second thing I would say, and this is really important in the context even of L.A., is um, <laughs> you need to find someone who wants you to be the best version of yourself. You don't want someone who wants you to be a lesser version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is back to your question of, can you really be a genius in your own hometown? Yes. And the answer is usually no. Why? Because people don't want your life to be an indictment on their life. Mm. So when everyone grows up with the same starting right, game, and then you begin to emerge, you become a judgment on them, even if you don't mean to. Why? Because they're not living up to their potential? That's right. Man. Because anyone who is living, living up to their potential can celebrate you living up to your potential. Mm. Greatness can applaud greatness. Genius can applaud genius. Mm-hmm. And um, intention applauds intention. But when you elevate above everyone else in your peer group and they've chosen a life of mediocrity, they will feel that you've betrayed them. Gosh, I felt this so many different stages in my life. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had friends and then I didn't have them as friends. Yeah, that's and the, right. And then I, I moved somewhere new and developed friends and then didn't have them as friends. <laughs> like, yeah. Not but, because I wasn't trying to be their friend, but because right. I kept seeking and pursuing. You're going to be more. Yes, I was like, okay, I was asking the questions, I was diving yeah. into more learning, I was developing myself. The most stark reminder of that in my life was my wife and I had this couple that were friends, and he was a Harvard grad, she was a Duke grad, so they were like brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he played football, I think it was, and you know, and one day um, we just didn't see him anymore. And then a year later, they were at our house, and we sat down with them, we thought, we were good enough friends to have an honest conversation. So I said, hey, it seems like you guys just withdrew. And what did we do to like end the friendship? And they said, being around you puts too much pressure on us to be more. Oh. And I I said, did I say something or was it? No, it wasn't anything you said. It's just the way you choose to live your life makes us feel that we are obligated to be more. And I remember saying to them, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, because for years my wife said, you know, we don't have friends that have stayed with us all the years along the way. And, and, and it's because you have to decide as you go along the way, are you going to allow your friendships to determine your ceiling? Or will you invite mm-hmm. people to go with you? 
So I've tried, I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many friends I've gone to and I said, hey, I'm starting this business, just come. I'm doing this, just come. And I created jobs for them. Yeah, opportunities, yeah. And they've all said no. And, and I realized, oh, it's, it's hard for me because I am a very driven person. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and I realized, oh, they're just, they're happy with their life as it is. And so then I have to celebrate that. Yes. But I also realize that we're just moving into different dimensions of living. Mm -hmm. And so I have, a, I have great friends now. All my friends right now, the really close ones, they're way more successful than me. <laughs> they're you inspiring know? you to grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realize, oh, not a single one of them's intimidated by me. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, they're looking at me going, he's such an underachiever. <laughs> and, uh, and it does elevate me. Mm -hmm. When I'm in the room with them and I go, wow, they have courage. Um, they have incredible inventiveness. They, they took some great risks. It really challenges me. And I want to, and, and actually, I want to be in that room. See, I don't walk away from that room. I right. go, I want to be around people where I am the least successful, uh, least impactful person in the room. Mm -hmm. And I want to be pulled up by that environment. And, and you should always pull people up, but you can't force them up. You can't force them. You know? and, and so that's a part of that. And back to the dating thing. Yes. I've seen a lot of relationships where women hit a ceiling because the man does not want them to be their best version of themselves. The man doesn't want the woman to be that, wow. And because they want that woman to be there for his benefit. Mm -hmm. But I've also seen the reverse. I've seen men hit a ceiling because the woman they chose didn't want the best version of them. Pulls them back or, yeah. yeah. And I, I gotta say this, like my wife has always pushed me to be my best version of myself. Mm -hmm. In fact, one time this guy, she asked him why he wasn't um, more ambitious or you know more courageous, and because uh, he kept talking like he would, and so she just said, you know, what's holding you back? I said, well, I'm married and I have kids, and I just I can't take those kind of risks because you know I have to take care of my wife and kids. In front of him, my wife turned and looked at me. She goes, if you ever use me or the kids as as an excuse for living a lesser life, I will leave you. Wow. <laughs> and, oh, she said this to you. Yes. Yeah, wow. In front of that guy. And, uh, and she meant it, yeah. you know, and she's always basically, you know, said, look, I, I'm married to the best version of yourself mm -hmm. and you just keep pushing yourself to that, you know, and, um, and that's exciting for me. Yes. You know, and we've had times, I mean, I remember 10 years ago when I started a fashion company and a film company and, and she didn't really understand what I was doing, <laughs> you, you know, and we had a conversation in a coffee shop and a year later I had a company it was a, a quickly multi-million dollar company, and she came and said, hey, uh, are we gonna talk? I said, about what? She goes, it seems like you've started this other life now. You're like this <laughs> artist, the designer guy, and you know, before you were just a pastor and you're a writer, and shouldn't we talk about this shift in your life? And, and I said, honey, we did talk about that last year. Remember I said I was gonna be an artist for the next 20 years of my life, and, and she goes, that conversation doesn't count because I didn't think you could succeed. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, once we sat down, and this time when I came back, started another fashion company, and I, I, I took all of her savings and used everything to start this new company in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. Um, I said, honey, are you okay with me doing this? And she looked at me and she goes, I am, because this is what you were born to do. Wow. And That's powerful. She just, I, I mean, being married to someone like that is such a gift. And, and I mean, I can tell you years ago, I lost like, five to six million dollars in one day. Mm. And um, lost a company due to a decision my business partner made that I could not stop. Yeah, And uh, I ended up taking a million dollars with loans to finish all the projects they left undone. I had to fly home and tell my wife I lost everything. I sat down on Larchmont and I said, uh, honey, I need to tell you I lost everything. Wow. And my wife looked at me and said, without a second hesitation, I thought I was your everything. Oh, phew, that gave me chills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Wow. And I thought, man, I'm not in a Jane Austen novel. What is oh, happening wow. here? And I, I didn't have as romantic a response. My response <laughs> was, well, I lost my other everything. <laughs> the one that pays the yeah, bills. Yeah, exactly. And she looked at me and goes, we've been poor before. Oh. And that didn't stop us. Wow. And she was just basically just get up off the ground and do what you do. Go create, go make something happen, yeah. yeah. And you want someone like that.
Mm-hmm. You want someone who enjoys you when you're enjoying life. And you want someone who always calls you to the best version of yourself and wants you to be that person. What if you've already married, you've already been married and you haven't asked those questions yet and you're realizing, oh, this person doesn't want me to, to go be the best version. They want me to be the version they want me to be that makes them safe and comfortable. And you're already in that marriage. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. How do you enroll or inspire your partner to be supportive of the greater version of you, the growing, expanding version? You probably have an unspoken codependency of mediocrity. Yes. Uh, Both of you accepted a lesser version of each other. So if you wake up one day going, I want to be more, uh, and I'm going to say this especially, I'm going to say this as a man. Okay, I don't want to like, you know, sound chauvinistic or anything like that, you know. But I'm going to say this as a guy. Uh, If you're a man and you wake up one day and you go, I want to be a better, higher version of myself. Your first job is to help your wife be a higher version of herself. Mm. How can a man do that? By, uh, one, having meaningful conversations and listening to your wife's dreams. Listening to the dreams Mm -hmm. that she put on the back burner because she married you. Ooh. Listening to the dreams that she thinks are no longer possible because she married you and had your kids. Wow. Listening to the dreams that are still haunting her that she wishes she could live. Because, see, if you want to be free to move to a different level of you, the fir- your first commitment should be to help her become free to be the best version of her. That's big. Okay? So that's, that's what I say to the guys. Okay. Yeah. You know? Because it's so much easier. It, it sounds so um, right to go, my wife's holding me back. But if you've been married for 10 years and you've both been at that same level, it's an unspoken contract of mediocrity. It's both of you are involved. Yeah. yeah. And, and so now you had this epiphany. You listen to Lewis Howes and he's inspired you to the school of greatness. Now you want to be great. Well, you know what you should do? You should let your wife listen to the podcast <laughs> and go, hey, this talk really inspired me. Uh-huh. You know? And I would tell people, uh, a leader, leaders make a mistake because they go through a long process of change. And then when they change, they tell everyone they're changed now. Right. And it took them years, yeah. and they want everyone else to do it with them. And I'm going, yeah, if you're the leader and it took you this long to get to that place, how long do you expect the people who have fallen you? Probably twice as long. Yeah, maybe. Most likely. Yeah. So if you've been married for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you've been comfortable with mediocrity or the status quo, and then now you're like, I need more. I want to be more. Look, it took a process for you to, to be reawakened. So now you need to create an environment where your spouse can be mm-hmm. reawakened. Mm-hmm. And... Find a way to take this journey together. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. How do you know when you're, you've been dating someone for a while? What are some questions you should ask that could get real clarity if that is a potential partner that will support you in the crazy changes and growth you'll have over the next you know, 10, 20, 50 years of potentially being together? What are some things you should ask? I think you usually know right away if they're not the right person. Ooh. You just lie to yourself because you don't want to be alone. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so I would say... Do we know intuitively? Is it a feeling? Yeah, Is it's, it a, it's a gut feeling. It's, really? uh, um, it's an intuition. It's also a level of joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, are they filling the loneliness void or are they accentuating the fully alive mm-hmm. aspect of your life? Mm-hmm. Are you more fully alive with that person? What if they're doing both for someone? Well, if that's okay if you're feeling both. As long as they're yeah. bringing the joy yeah, bring and they're making you yeah. feel full fully, alive. Yeah, fully yeah. alive. Oh, so, here, so you know right away if they're not the person, you just have to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. But you may not know right away if they are the person. Yes. So how do you okay. know when they are? Um, when you no longer need to change them. Wow. That's when you know that they are the right person. Yeah, because if you're trying to change them, they're not the right person. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so it's just, when you fully accept them. You're like, I love all this about it. I've just got to change this one thing. Right. Just this one thing. And so then you have to ask yourself the question, if that one thing never changes, because it won't. It won't change. It won't change. The, even if you have potential to change it, it's not going to change. Because you're not their life coach. Right. You're their partner. Don't coach them. Right. Don't so, try to fix them. That's right. So the moment you become their coach, you can't be their partner. Ooh. So how do we empower <laughs> and uplift our partners to want them to, to, to accomplish their dreams and become more of who they are right. without coaching them. Right. By paying attention to the areas of life they want to change 
in the areas of life they do not want to change. Mm-hmm. Let's say just a small thing. Let's say it drives you crazy that she's always late, uh-huh. right? You know, and, uh, and you say, can't you be on time? And you realize she doesn't really want to be on time. So you have to decide, can I love this person even though they're always going to be late? Which is different than a person that says, I really want to be punctual. I really want to be on time. I, I just have this terrible pattern in my life of being late all the time, and I really need help to be on time. Those are two different scenarios. Mm-hmm. You know? And then in the second scenario, if you become the one to help them be on time, they're going to hate you. <laughs> because now you're the life coach. You have to say, mm-hmm. hey, I totally support you in that. You know, um, you, you know, maybe I can point you to some things that can help you. I'm not going to help you change this. I'm going to cheer you on as you change because mm. I don't want you to feel like you're changing for me. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included but you don't take yada yada in life so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You have to change for yourself. That's right. Does that make sense? So cheering people on, not coaching them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and you have to you have to be able to say this sincerely. Even if you never change, I'm gonna love you completely. Mm. Some people don't do that though. They're no. with someone when they don't like things and they keep wanting them to change the thing they don't like. Yes. And they expect them to change, but they're not going to change. Yeah. In LA, you know what's funny? is like a lot of guys, they fall in love with models and actresses, but they don't want to marry a model or an actress. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. So they want to marry the model. They just want you to quit modeling once you're married. <laughs> right. They right. want to marry you as an actress or or an actor, but they want you to, because they don't want you to act because then you're like having that scene. Right. You, you know, that makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going, no, no. See, if you don't want to marry an actress, don't date an actress. Right. Right. Just like, you know, when guys are surgeons or doctors, like if, if you don't want to marry someone with doctor's hours and surgeon's schedules, don't marry a doctor or a surgeon. Don't, don't think, oh, if I marry him, then his priorities will change. No. They, they won't because he's structured to be a surgeon. And, and the only, per, only marriage that's going to work is someone who actually is structured to be married to that surgical pattern mm-hmm. in their life. And, and so you look at those extremes. Like, I, I, you know, when, when I was dating Kim, I, I was already traveling. I said, hey, I'm going to be traveling all the time. I'm going to be traveling the world. And, and my wife's like, that's okay, because so am I, you know? Right, right. We're just traveling different directions. My wife is a, a musical artist. She's married to a musical artist. And um, Jake is in the band Laney. And, um, and, you know, they toured with John Mayer, Ellie Golding, you know, and they're about to do the Troubadour, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and they travel all over the world. Right, right. And it, you know, Moriah, when she married Jake, understood. He's he's one third of Laney. He's going to be traveling. Right. She's also Mariah's a musician. Daughter. My daughter's my daughter, yeah. and and she's in a band and she travels the world. Uh -huh. And they both understood that. Wow. Now they have a baby and they're working out. Neither one of them is looking to the other person saying, "Now you need to change women. Stop you know? doing your thing." Yeah. yeah. They both are like, we both have this thing that's important to us. It's a part of who we are, and we're going to learn how to be husband and wife and have a uh, a little girl in that dynamic scenario. And I think that to me is the ideal. You're not trying to change the other person. You knew who they were. You were willing to embrace that for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, and you also understand it's complicated. Yes. And you do your best to, to work it through. And But my kids have learned that you can live in a really dynamic relationship and have a great marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you can, but you can't change the person. I mean, there's things you know about me that I know Kim wants to change and they just don't change. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, it's kind of late. For me right, to change right, right, those right. things. It's and accepting yeah, the person, yeah. There's things about Kim that I wanted her to change. She never changed. And but I didn't expect them to change. I, I kind of hoped some of them would change, right? You know? <laughs> Did anything change? Oh yeah, we both changed a lot in all the areas where we fundamentally wanted to change. Not the other person wanting you to change, because that doesn't work, does you it? You can't sustain change that someone else wants for you. You can only sustain a change that you want for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you're marrying someone, you don't marry a perfect person, but you, you, you pay attention to who they're becoming. What would you see? There are the commandments in the Bible, but what would you say are the spiritual principles or commandments for a relationship? Maybe three to five that you would say, these are pretty time and true tested from your relationship or the ones that you've seen who have been healthy and gone through ups and downs and sustained a happy Type of relationship. That's fine. You pick the Bible as, a, as your framework. Yeah, there were ten commandments that were given in the Old Testament. And Jesus narrowed it down to love God and love people. And he said, "Look, if you love God and love people, you're going to take care of all the commandments." Uh huh. Right. You, you know. And and I would say that um, in a relationship, the first thing is you have to take personal responsibility for your own happiness. Mm, that's so true. And so don't blame it on your wife. Don't blame it on your kids. Don't blame your marriage. Don't blame your job. You are personally responsible for your own happiness, because it's miserable being married to someone who's unhappy. <laughs> it's really, it's draining, right? Yeah, it's exhausting, you know, to be in a relationship of any kind with someone who's perpetually unhappy. Because you're always trying to support them and being happy, as opposed yeah. to pursuing your unique genius yeah. and your dreams and your creativity. And so you're personally responsible for your happiness. Yes. And um, and then secondly. Um, when you're in a relationship, you should care and align your life for your partner's personal happiness. You're not responsible for their happiness, but you should be the greatest mm. ingredient that allows them to move in that direction. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. You know, and you know, and so like your your partner shouldn't feel that they need to go against you to live out the intention that gives them the greatest sense of joy. Oh, yeah. And it seems like some people try to hide the things they love sometimes or try to sneak away to do something they yeah. love because the other person doesn't like it. Yeah. And that's tough, right? Yeah. Man. And like when I first started writing books, I was a madman. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, get, I got so hard into my head and my family says I was not an enjoyable human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and human interaction irritated me when I was writing. Right. And, <laughs> Get away from me. Get away and from me. I, I wrecked the car when I was driving. Oh, I, man. Like, I, I'm so in my head. I was in a carpool lane by myself because I was having a conversation with three other people while I was writing my book. Because mm. I, 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 I worked through, oh, I write the entire book in my head. Yes. And, uh, and so, like, one of my books I wrote in 10 hours because I wrote the whole thing in my imagination and I just punched it out wow. so fast. And, but I'm completely um, oblivious to the world around me and maybe mean. And, uh, and so my family was like, Dad, you know, could you, when you write, could you just sort of be alone? <laughs> you know, because we're a little nervous for you. Don't drive. We'll send you food. You know, <laughs> Get your and, driver. Yeah, yeah. You know, Take Uber. Yeah. And just talk to us minimally <laughs> during the process. And I, I, and I love that space. And my wife would try to like help me by bringing me food. And I would go, why are you interrupting me? Why are you in the room? But I, I cooked this for you. And I go, did I ask you to? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and over time, I had to learn how to you know, be more 
more gracious and kind each time I wrote a book. But my family also learned how to give me that space to create that's necessary for me mm-hmm. to go through that process. And I, and I actually think like the best relationships, they can talk to you. They were so honest with me and go, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but you're short, you know, you're short tempered and you're too quick, you know, mm-hmm. to get irritated and, and completely unaware of it. I just knew they irritated me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could only see it from my inside experience. Sure. And, and then I realized, oh, I, I see what's going on. So I made adjustments and they made adjustments. You know, they want me to succeed in the writing. They want me to see, to write the best book I can. At the same time, you know, I want to create a healthy, happy environment all around me. Sure. And, and sometimes they feel like they're mutually exclusive, right? You being you and creating what you need and everyone else being happy. They can almost be at war <laughs> with each other. And, and yet you realize, no, you know, every human being has like a, a dark side to their light. You know, and a part of loving someone is just realizing, like, I would always grow a beard when I wrote. <laughs> it was like, it was my way of warning everyone. Right, right. Stay and, away. <laughs> and they would just, oh, he's about to write a book. You know, and I think I had, I found ways to externally communicate. I love you, but right now I'm going into my hole. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I watch this with Kim when she's like teaching a master's course or she's building something in, in Asia. I just know I'm not going to see my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, she's on phone calls at 10 o'clock at night because it's the right time in Africa for two hours. And, and she's focused on it. She's pretending she's talking to me, but she's in her brain right. working out this project. I could get so irritated. And, and there have been times I go, you know, hey, is that all you're going to do, right? You know, because I'm not celebrating that. But I realized for her to achieve this, I have to accept the fact that this, these things are going to change in our relationship during this time. hmm and I think a huge part of relationships is adaptability and pliability. Yes. And I always say, look, the more mature person makes the most changes. But somebody has to make changes. Someone has to choose adaptability. And if you have two rigid people in a marriage, it won't work. You, you always have to have one person who's just more like water. And if both are flexible, is that good too? Uh, if both are flexible, it, it isn't as... Um, Tumultuous, <laughs> yeah. But there, there may be a lack of structure, uh-huh. you know, that helps the relationship actually grow. Yeah. It is nice to have one person who says, "Hey, let's make sure we have dinner." Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if, if both are super flexible, there may not be enough intention, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that the relationship is moving forward. Nice. So I, I just think it's find the right, you know, I don't call it a balance. It's the right tension. Yes. You know, because I, I don't really believe in balance in life because um, I'm skewed. Like, I'm an extremist. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a balanced person. And I don't think you're a balanced person either. Right. You, you know. And my marriage isn't balanced. My marriage is a pendulum of, yes. of my passions pulling us, her passions pulling us, me adapting to her passions, Kim adapting to my passions, and us constantly moving forward in this beautiful rhythm of mm. tensions. Mm, really? Yeah. Any other principles you would add? The spiritual oh, principles. Have fun. Yeah. Enjoy each other. Laugh. Play. That's like principle number one for me. And um, you just can't be mad at each other when you're laughing together. You can't hold bitterness when you're uh-huh. laughing together. You uh, can't live in the past when you're laughing together. When you're laughing uh-huh. together, you're completely in, that, in this moment. You're completely present. So have fun. Laugh together. Enjoy life. Um, and that, that's number one. Uh, to um, celebrate each other's successes. Mm-hmm. And you, you just need to be a lifelong cheerleader for the other person. Don't assume they know you think they're awesome. You, you know? And uh, um, three, um, have as much sex as you can. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Because... Uh, you know, sex is supposed to be the most intimate act between two human beings. Uh-huh. It's not supposed to be a pastime for entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, what we've turned it into is so demeaning to the beauty mm. of physical sexual intimacy. And it's really important in, mm. in a marriage and it's really important in a relationship that, that you know, in the deepening of that relationship to, uh, I've been married 38 years and, you know, uh, sex is still really important. It's an important part of, of 
intimacy. It's, it's an important part of blocking everything else out in the world and making mm. everything else irrelevant. And, 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 and it's just about us. Being present in the moment. Being present in that moment. Wow. You know, and, and just someone knowing that they're fully loved and completely loved. Mm. I think it's really important. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, maybe feel surprised to hear that from a pastor or whatever, you know, but that's just real life, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole book called The Song of Solomon that's written about sexual relationships between a man and a woman. And it's funny, the Lord just tried to turn it into a metaphor about God and the church. It's not. It's really about humans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because uh, Solomon was a romantic, you know. And I do think that romance is important. Uh, things like surprise and, um, you know, doing unexpected things acts of kindness for each other and um, you know when you date there's a uh, there's a, a process of winning that person's affection that process never ends mm-hmm. like if you if you if you don't date and romance your spouse you will end up losing that love because mm. yeah, it's just it's what nurtures it it's what waters it it's what allows it to flourish yeah I think um friend of mine once said if you do in the beginning what do you say he said if you do in the beginning of dating in a relationship um what what you're not doing at the end it wouldn't be the end something like that if you continue doing what you were doing in the beginning at the end it wouldn't be the end Mm -hmm. because you kept doing it yeah yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's That's like, right. But you stop doing the thing that yeah. and, created and the connection. Let me let me just say something about since I went there talk about sex and intimacy. Yeah, a part of the reason a lot of relationships don't have sustainability is that uh, sex becomes a way of circumventing intimacy. What do you mean? Uh, sex creates an illusion of intimacy without the reality of intimacy. And what if I just just be super basic? You will. If you're going to be married 40 years, you're going to talk a lot more than you have sex. Uh-huh. You know, no matter how much you have sex, you're going to talk a lot <laughs> right. more. You don't have sex so much. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't have a person you want to talk to, mm, you will not have a person you want to have sex with. And, and so what ends up happening is a lot of people move into sexual intimacy before they actually move into um, actual intimacy. Oh, so powerful. And, and I made this mistake in every previous relationship you know it's it's both a mistake guys and girls make you know guys make it because they don't want um they don't know if they can actually move toward real intimacy because we don't know how to be a a transparent and authentic Mm, and vulnerable and vulnerable yeah and women often want it because um it makes them feel like they're loved and they um are embraced by that person and uh, so you're attributing Mm. a lot of intention to it you know, right. I those chemicals one, can confuse you. They can. They, and the chemicals on. do confuse you. I was speaking at this event one time, and I talked about sex and intimacy. And this couple came up. They were, you know, they were not married. They were, you know, living together. And and he was very upset because she was listening. And and she said they came up and he and she said I don't think he really likes me. I think he just uh, wants me. Desires me sexually. Yeah, desire, yeah, you know, sexually. And, and, and he goes, no, it's not true. And I told her, you know, let's go talk to him. And I said, okay, here's a test. When you go home tonight, don't have sex, just talk. And if he can't talk to you throughout the whole night, enjoying dinner and, you know, and talking and engaging conversation without having sex, you, you basically know he thinks you're boring. Mm. And because what happens a lot of times is that when a guy just wants to go right to having sex, he actually thinks you're boring. Mm-hmm. There is nothing else in the relationship that can hold his attention. And I know I'm, I'm going a little bit in here, but I'm just saying I think that a, a huge part of masculine intimacy is learning how to be vulnerable through conversation and that human connection and not circumventing the process of actually knowing each other. Mm-hmm. And so getting to know each other first yeah. through conversation, not sexually. Do you like each other? Yeah. Not just want each other. Uh-huh. That's huge. You know, and, uh, and that's going to be kind of the backdrop of life because um, loving someone is really important. And I'm going to say it in an odd way, liking them is really important too. 
Because if you're going to be with them for a long yeah. time, you got to like them. Yeah, just even as a parent, think about this. A lot of parents love their kids, but they don't like their kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know why? Because the kids aren't likable. Right. And when we were raising our kids, I, I made it a goal that I was going to raise kids I liked. How did you do that? And trying to teach them basic things like kindness and um, you know, compassion and uh, respect and integrity. And, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to make them good human beings. Yeah. You know, more than successful human beings. I want them to be, like, good humans. And, um, and I really like my kids. Like, they're just, and they're also interesting. I've been around other people, and they don't ask questions. Mm. Like, and my kids are so inquisitive. They question everything. They don't accept anything I say as face value. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know and they press into everything. And, and I told him, I said, when I've been around other families, they all see the world the same. Mm-hmm. They, they don't even ask each other hard questions. How boring would that life be? Yeah. You know? And, and so I think it's true not just in a, a marriage relationship or a dating relationship, but also with your kids. Um, you, you, you want people where they are free to be themselves, ask all the hard questions, where you have fun together and, uh, and enjoy life, you know? Um, but I actually, you know, Lewis, I really believe that humans are designed for a relationship, that we're not designed to do life alone. And that it's, it's not that being single is an aberration at all. It's that being single isn't the only human connection. Mm-hmm. You can be single and have deep relationships. Absolutely. You can have deep friendships. And, you know, people will come to Mosaic, you know, the church that I started here in Hollywood, and, and people will say, well, you know, I can't find community. And not many, but some. And I'll always ask them, I said, tell me where you found community in the past. Mm-hmm. It'll always be nowhere. I say, you see, the, the, the problem isn't that there's not community here at Mosaic. The problem is that no one ever ta- taught you the skills of developing community. Like, it's not that there aren't friendships here. It's that you don't know the basic skills of building friendships. And a lot of the things that are, are almost, like, essential for human survival, we're not learning anymore. Mm. You, you have to learn how to be a friend. You have to learn how to be kind to people. Yes. You have to learn how to see people as value. You, you know, they're not a commodity. Mm-hmm. They're the highest value that you'll ever experience in your life. Right. And, and so some of it is, like, anywhere I go in the world, I have friends instantly. You have friends instantly. Absolutely. Everywhere I go in the world, I have community instantly. And it, it, it happens naturally because people matter to me. Mm-hmm. It happens naturally because people matter to you. Yeah, we're curious. We want to ask questions. Yeah. We connect. You care about people. You're interested in them. You're curious. That's why you do what you yes. do. That's why I do what I do. It's because you find people fascinating. You know, I thought, oh, more tragic than not getting to see every place in the world is not getting to meet all the people in the I world. Know. I, I I drive sometimes when I'm in different places in the world and... I'll see like restaurants with full of people talking. And I actually have this feeling, I go, I just wish I'd go, I could go sit at their table. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake caliper. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game. 
or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And go, what are you guys talking about? Because <laughs> I, I see people talking and laughing and having a great time. And I feel this longing. Going, oh, I bet you they're having the best conversations. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize that, you know, when we're, when we're small, we think life is all about things. You know, the gifts that we get. Then we get a little older, we become adolescents. We think life is about experiences. First kiss, first date, you know. And, and then eventually, we, if we grow up, life becomes about relationships. There are a lot of adults who are still about things mm. and still about experiences and don't realize that when you look back on your life, the highlights of your life will not about be about the most things or the best experiences, it will be about the people. If you have healthy relationships, you'll have great memories. If you have unhealthy relationships, you will not have great memories. That's true. It doesn't matter how big the experience or how big the plane, the boat, the car, the pocketbook. If the relationships weren't good, it'll be a bad memory. That's right. It'll be a bad time. Yeah, but if you have great relationships, the, the times where you have no money, you remember how you laughed yes. and enjoyed life. I can remember when Kim and I slept on the floor because we couldn't afford a bed. Some of the best memories of my life. Yeah. Because we were doing it together. Yeah. You know, and you have these great experiences in life. You ever had a vacation or experience where you fought with the people you're with? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that vacation was not a vacation. No, it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> right? You know, and and you realize, oh, the best experience in the world can be ruined by a bad relationship. And the worst experiences can be amazing by a great relationship. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so people need to realize the highest frequency at which you will ever live your life is human relationships. Yeah. You know, in the modern world, it seems less and less people are waiting to have sex. Yeah. Until they're married. Right? They're, Almost no one waits. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very, very yeah. rare. It's very rare. Right? It's very, what, 1%, maybe yeah. less than that? Um, what do you think is a good amount of time to wait for people? Were you, were you like, okay, I've actually gotten to know this person. Maybe you're not going to wait till marriage, but you've decided we're going to wait until the fifth date, 20th date, 100th date, whatever it is. What do you think should be the knowing of, okay, I'm not going to wait till I'm married, but if the second best option is this, what would that be? So you're asking the wrong person. Because <laughs> one, even before I believed in God or believed uh-huh. in Jesus or was a person of faith, I know this is hard to believe. I never had sex until I was married. Wow. And you got married at what, 18? <laughs> no, I was 25. <laughs> okay. Yeah, wow. and, um, and it wasn't because of my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know you why. You just couldn't get girls to like you. Uh, yeah, that's it, <laughs> that was it. You, you know, no, you know, I, um, I had this view of human value that mm. I thought, that's, I don't want to treat another human being the way I wouldn't want my daughter to be treated. That's powerful. Even though I didn't believe in God. I don't even know really where this came mm-hmm. from. I remember even once um, uh, having a conversation with a, like a parent and um, saying, you know, this girl, she just, you know, she wants to sleep around and I'm not sure what I should do. And I don't know why I said it just when dad was frustrated. They go, oh, there are girls you just, you just sleep with. Mm. Like, that was the advice I was given. In fact, they said there's some girls you marry, some girls you have sex with. Wow. And I remember looking at him and because the person who told me was actually uh, a Christian, and I was not. Right. <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, I, I want to hear your opinion when it comes to your kids one day." And so somehow I, I'm not sure why, but I just mm. I did not have sex with another human being because I wanted to wait till I was fully committed to a person. Yeah. I I, I didn't know why I did. It wasn't a legal thing or more or like a religious thing. It it's just the way I was. I, I structured my own soul. Yeah, I feel like I was at a yeah. lower level of that. I was like, because I knew a lot of my friends and family members yeah. had sex in their teens. 
And I said, I want to wait until I'm 18, until I'm a legal adult. And then I did it. Everyone I knew had sex. <laughs> hey, look, look, hey. I knew I was a uh, absurd exception. Yes. In fact, by the time I was 20, I was going, why am I doing this? I literally would ask right, right, myself, right, right. this is stupid. Yeah. And, um, but I just couldn't mm. because I, I didn't want to look back on my life going, I think I used that person. Ah. And, um, and I, I have this uh, internal mechanism where I just never want to take advantage of another human being. Right. So, I, so in that sense, I'm the wrong person to sure. ask uh, because I actually like see sex as like the highest human expression mm-hmm. of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I'm a person to wait till I was married, and I would just say, you're you're um, circumventing your fear of commitment by having sex before you're married. Uh. It's not even about the moral issue. It's about the fact that you're afraid of committing yourself to another human being. And so I would go from that route and ask, um, have you dealt with that yet? Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so well, I made for you the, asked for the I'm... 99% of people who are who appreciate that, but are still going to have sex before they get married. I know. Is it at least be fully committed to the person? Is it you know? Would you have if you had to lower your standards? <laughs> to a lower level of frequency, what would that? What would you suggest? It would it be a feeling, maybe for whatever reason. Okay, we're not going to okay. get married for There's five little, years, but we're I fully would, in I'd partnership say, and don't, together. Don't have sex um, when you see the other person as um, as something you're using. Mm, okay, that's great. And so, first of yeah. all, like uh, value yourself more than any one night one night stand. Yes. Value yourself more than just having sex with someone who doesn't even won't even remember your name. Yes. Value yourself more than having sex with someone who doesn't love you. Mm. And, yeah, and so, um, and I know that that's not like, look, I, I understand that I'm the exception here. Sure. You know, I just think that sex should be the outcome of love. Right. And, uh, and so he asked me to lower my standards. I'm going, all right, I just, I just pulled out commitment. I think it should be love and commitment. <laughs> right, right. No, so, yeah. so, so I'm going, okay, if I lower it. But you, you're saying <laughs> commitment is marriage, is what your definition of commitment is. I am saying that, look, when you move to that level of intimacy, whether you realize that you've psychologically married, whether you realize it or not, mm. and whether you want to ignore, I see I'm not even looking at institutional marriage. Yes. I'm looking at the psychology, what's happening the to emotional your emotional marriage. Yes. Yes. And you know as well as I do that when you're in a deep relationship and you believe you love that person and now you're having sex, when you break up, you're going through the same emotional trauma as divorce. Wow. So you're saying if you <laughs> don't have sex, say you're in a relationship for a year or two and you don't have sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. You're saying if you break up with the person without having sex, it's easier or there's less trauma? Well, the only chance you really have of maintaining a friendship is if you haven't had sex. I mean, you just look back on your life. Yeah. How many people did you have sex with? It's funny. <laughs> that you're still friends with. Well, it's funny because I've always said this, that <laughs> I would, I'm the type of guy that I'm like, if I've been with someone in a past relationship mm-hmm. and I, you know, want the best for all these women I've been with, <laughs> all these women I've been with, but I'm also like, you know, we experienced time together. I still would like to be, part of me is like, yeah, I'd still like to be friendly, right? And have a friendship. None of them want to be friends with me. And I'm always like, man, you yeah. know, is that bad? Or it's maybe... because you... Sex is an unspoken commitment, mm. whether you like to acknowledge it or not. Right. And then once you break up the relationship, there's a violation of that commitment of trust. Interesting. And we don't talk about that. So I'm not talking about legal marriage. Right. I'm talking about what happens to your soul. I think the, the challenge that we're, we're facing right now is that, um, like, all the old like moral constructs uh-huh. are being thrown out saying yeah. you know hey marriage is antiquated you know um have sex with anyone whenever you want yeah hook up culture and yeah and and it's it, what we're really not paying attention to is what what is actually happening to the internal makeup of a human being mm. what's happening psychologically what, what's happening to you spiritually what's happening to you in in uh in terms of the, the essence of your own soul and it's inescapable that when you move to a level of intimacy with a person and you believe that you love them and you believe they love you, and then you have the abrupt end of that because those relationships, whether we like it or not, they don't end unabruptly. Yeah. 
the deeper you go, the more tearing there is when it's over. Yeah. And we, we try to pretend that we can have sex with one person and another person, another person, and it does nothing to us. And frankly, if it does nothing to you, you're a sociopath. <laughs> and, uh, and you're damaging other people. And, but you are getting damaged. Your soul is being affected. You are going through a psychological divorce. And it's interesting that studies show that children are more traumatized by divorce than they are by the death of a parent. Really? Yeah, they're more traumatized by the divorce of their parents than the death of their parent. And I, I think that um, whether you believe you know, in marriage or whether you believe that sex is supposed to only happen in the confines of marriage, what you, what you need to believe is that um, moving towards sexual intimacy with another person has a spiritual, psychological, emotional bonding mm -hmm. that um, when the relationship breaks, it actually has a deep effect on you as a human being. So when you're just sleeping with a lot of people, what's happening is that your soul is actually becoming numb. You, you, and you lose the ability to feel. Wow. And it's like, it's like drug abuse when, you know, I mean, the reason addiction happens is because what, you, what used to give you a high doesn't anymore. And then you have so to you have more. more. Yeah. You have more and you have more. And, and, and so what happens with, with, with sex is that sex becomes an addiction. And it doesn't give you that feeling anymore. It doesn't give you that feeling of being loved. It doesn't give you that feeling of pleasure. It doesn't give you that feeling of, uh, of warmth. And, and so you just keep escalating the situation. And, and you, you're traumatizing your soul. Mm. And you don't realize that you're, you're losing the ability not just to love, you're, you're losing the ability to experience love. And so oh. I, I would say that people need to be really aware that um, the human beings are not the same as um, other animals. Mm -hmm. That human beings um, cannot have sex in a healthy way separated from their psychological well-being. And that's why commitment or deeper levels of commitment or marriage or whatever mm -hmm. is important in that process in your opinion, your belief. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's why those things are important in my experience. Right, right, right. You, yeah, you know, yeah. I would never hold another person to my beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you know, it's not my job to convince right. you or someone else to not have sex until they're married. I wouldn't even brought it up except you brought it up. Yeah. But it would be, but I do consider it my responsibility to say, oh, you can make those choices, but don't, I hope you're not pretending that they don't have an effect. Mm. Because when you're traumatized, and when you don't know why you can't trust, when you don't know why mm. you can't love, and when you don't know why you don't feel anymore, someone's gonna have to talk to you about um, how you treated this as a diminished aspect of the human experience. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it doesn't have the effect not a sacred aspect. Not a sacred aspect. Yeah. I actually think sex is sacred, mm -hmm. and uh, and you know, but anything that's diminished loses its effect to impact you in a positive way. Interesting. You know, how do we? By the way, people who over overeat never overeat on good food. Right. You know, you don't overeat on broccoli and vegetables and yeah, yeah, you, salad. So, and and people who have uh, indiscriminate sex are eating junk food. Mm. They're not eating the best food in the world. Right. And they're becoming junk food. And so if you treat yourself like junk food, you shouldn't expect that you're making someone else better. So maybe that would be the question. When someone has sex with you, are they becoming a better human being? Well, people with a big ego might think, oh, they're having a great time with me. They're having a great experience. Well, you know, you're having a great time when you're high on heroin. Yeah. I'm not asking <laughs> you about, healthy? Yeah. I'm not asking you how you feel on the high. I'm asking afterwards, you, how you what feel. happens afterwards. Yeah. Does that person become a better human being? That's yeah, interesting. Like, I want to live my life where everyone who has crossed my path becomes a better person. That's a good, I like that. I like that. So how do we, okay, someone listening or watching is like, you know what? This makes sense, but I've been traumatizing myself for years by getting into a relationship and having sex too quickly and then it not working out and then having casual sex and then feeling like I can't trust myself or other people or not being open to love. What would you say is the process on how to actually heal after a breakup or after casual sex encounters that have traumatized you? 
Yeah. Again, I would say casual sex is uh, your personal declaration that you do not believe you're worthy of love. Mm. Wow. And um, and I just think the big points that you need to figure out how to come to a place where you know you're worthy of love. So whatever you decide, don't decide because you don't feel worthy of love. Right. Okay. It, you know. And don't make it because you're seeking love. Yeah. Because you don't believe that person will stay with you. Mm, if, ooh, interesting. Without sex. See, you know, because then, then you're actually giving someone something because you don't believe you can receive love freely. You know, and and it's 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 odd, but when you're talking about unconditional love, you you're right in the middle of it, right here. You, you know, and. I, I think that the greatest lovers in the world are the people who can love one person for a lifetime. Like when, you know, guys, you know, when they say, I love women, and I go, really? You know? Yeah, you know, because like, I, I sat in a room with these guys at this mastermind, and all the guys at the table were talking about all the women they're having sex with. And, and I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, if the women that they're having sex with were hearing this, would they still choose to have sex with them? Mm. Or do they have such a low self-esteem they still would? Mm. And they were like, yeah, she didn't have much of a face, but she had a great body, so I just didn't look at her. Like, oh, you could, man. You could just, you know, and then and they used, you know, pretty pretty descriptive language and, and on and on. And finally I said, I, I wonder if those women are getting together right now saying, you know, he has great abs, but he's brain dead. You know, and uh, or he wasn't much, you know, a human being, but at least, you know, and, and they just looked at me and they said, yeah, maybe, you know. And what was really bothering me was that they actually saw women as something to be used. So there is this pendulum, you know, Lewis, where we, when you diminish something, eventually it becomes completely worthless. Mm. And, and so maybe what I would say is if I had to choose one extreme, between everyone just sleeping around indiscriminately with each other, using each other, or this prudish idea that you should only have sex in your marriage, I'm gonna go way over on this side because no one will ever accuse me of making my sexual choices for my own personal pleasure or, mm. um, uh, or betterment. Like, I'm at the very least, I can say I made my choices to cause the least amount of harm mm -hmm. and to do the most good. Yeah. Maybe I was wrong, but I but I tried to do the most good. Right, for yourself and for, for others. And, yeah, for myself and for others. Uh, not for what I wanted. Right. You, you know, see, because... Not I'm, for your desires. Not for my desires, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but, because I tried to make all my choices that way. Mm -hmm. So sex was just one of those. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think some of it is just to make sure that you're not traumatized by... Um, your future decisions shouldn't don't have to be a reflection of your past decisions. Like wherever you are right now, if, if you know you you feel like if I've I've made a lot of choices that I regret. Mm -hmm. Like I can't decide whether you regret those choices or not. Only you can. But I think there are people out there going, I wish I'd maybe waited longer. I wish I had been more um, cautious in the process. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I wish I'd valued myself more. Right. You know, and. Um, and I would just say the beautiful thing, and that's why I, you know, always go back to Jesus. Is um, you can today is a new start. Today is a fresh light. You know, it doesn't mean your past doesn't have momentum, but it doesn't. It doesn't have to control you. Yeah. You know, we're always just one choice away from a different us. Absolutely. You know, and yeah, I just don't want to. I just don't want people to look back on their life and feel like they weren't loved. They were just used. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone's worthy of love. And I think everyone's worthy of someone who commits their life to them, Lewis. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. That's the ultimate love. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a couple final questions, okay. uh, but I want people to be aware of and get your book, The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. And really the kind of the key principles of genius that, that Jesus lived by. Mm -hmm. The genius of empathy, of power, grace, good, true, and the beautiful. Uh, a lot of amazing stuff in here. I started to skim through. I told you I'd skim through it. I've been skimming through it. I'm going to get through more of it soon. Uh, but make sure you guys pick up a copy and get a few for your friends. 
this would be an inspiring uh, book that you can share with other people. You can talk about it together and really get some wisdom from this. So get the, the genius of Jesus, the man who changed everything. Um, and you have a great philosophical approach and spiritual approach to, to the things that you've been studying within genius and a lot of people, but also in genius. So make sure you guys pick up a copy. They can get it at thegeniusof.com or they can just follow you on social media, Erwin McManus, everywhere on social media. Uh, also, if you're in LA, make sure to go check out Mosaic because oh, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful time uh, or you can watch it online. Or you can go to South Pasadena we have at the yes, Rialto Theater. It's beautiful there too. Yeah. So, Or you can just watch it online if you're around the world. Where They can go to mosaic.org to watch yeah. a live stream yeah. anywhere in the world if they're not here in LA. Um, this, is a, this is a question I've asked you before. I'm curious if it's the same answer if you have something different here. This is called the three truths. Okay. So imagine it's your last day on earth many years away from now. You continue to accomplish all of your wildest dreams, still with some untapped potential, but you've, <laughs> you've let a lot of it out. Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever reason, all of your written material, your audio, your video material has to go with you somewhere else. or It's gone. It's mm -hmm. gone to another place or with you or wherever you want it to go, but it's not on this earth. But you get to leave behind three things you know to be true, three lessons that you've learned from your life that you would share with the world. And this is all we would have from you are these three truths. What would you say are those three truths for you? Hmm. Well, I just go with whatever just pops into my mind. Yes. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind is uh, being human is a gift. That's, I think the second truth I would leave is uh, you're created in the image of God. The third would be you must choose to live. You must choose to live. What does that mean? It means we exist without choice. But to live, you have to choose. We existed without choosing to be here. But, but to, to truly live, mm. that's the result of the choices you make. Wow, that's good. Yeah, those are good. Before I ask the final question, Erwin, I want to acknowledge you for being an incredible light to the world. You've, oh. been, you've been such a light for me since I met you, I think, two and a half years ago. It's been such a, a gift to be a part of your life and part of your family's experience and be at events and at your home and at your at Mosaic. And, and every time I go, I just feel, you know, more peace. So I appreciate you for bringing your creative genius to the world so we can have more clarity, hope, love, and peace. And uh, I'm just glad you're alive. So I appreciate your gifts. Hey, love you so much, Louis. Of Lewis. course, of course. Final question is what's the definition of greatness for you? It's funny because, you know, genius and greatness really have a very parallel kind of uh -huh. journey, you know. Um, I just can't escape, I guess, for me, uh, greatness is what you do for others. Mm -hmm. And fame is what you do for yourself. Yeah. And so I would say that my definition of greatness is um, the good you do for mm -hmm. the world. Erwin, mm -hmm. right, thanks, man. Appreciate hey, it. Thank you so much, bro. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. I really love hearing feedback from you guys, so share a review over on Apple and let me know what part of this episode resonated with you the most. And if no one's told you lately, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 